the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, God frees Peter from prison and out of Herod's grasp, and the believers rejoice. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 12, verse 6. Once again, that's Acts chapter 12, verse 6. Now, despite these prayers, Peter remained under guard for a while, in fact, until the very night before Herod planned to bring him out for execution. Verse 6, and when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. You know, here we find Peter on the night before execution. He had more peace than those who were praying for him. They're praying all night in an all-night prayer meeting, and here is Peter sleeping. I don't know if he is exhausted. I don't know if he'd resigned himself to the fact that this was the time now that the Lord had prophesied of when others would lead him away and take his life. Some have suggested the reason Peter slept is he knew he couldn't die. Some suggested because Jesus' prophecy of his death and execution referred to crucifixion. And since he had beheaded James, Peter knew, I I can't be beheaded because Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm not sure that's comforting, but (laughs) perhaps he thought that was the case. But either way, when David fled from Absalom, these are his words. He said, Lord, in Psalm 3, verses 1 through 5, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. See, there's something beautiful about the Christian. No matter the pain, the difficulty, the uncertainty, the unknown, whatever you may be going through, you and I can sleep peacefully knowing that we are cradled in our Father's arms. Well, we move on here in verse 7, and it says, and behold, anytime you see behold in the Bible, modern day translation means, check this out. This is crazy. Look at what happened. That's what that means. Behold means pay attention. Check this out. In the midst of this horrible situation, all of a sudden, God intervenes. It says, the angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord, came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. Now, you would think at that point in time, you know, there's a light, and the angel of the Lord's there. I mean, that's kind of an ominous presence. And then Peter's snoring. And you almost kind of think the angel's a little disappointed. And he's like, hey, <laughs> this is important. <laughs> 
He smote him. The word there means to strike a blow. This word usually implies a blow that causes damage. Obviously, that probably didn't happen because Peter doesn't say he limped out of the prison in a moment. But it does show how peacefully Peter slept. And the angel smote Peter on the side and he raised him up. He woke him up saying, arise up, get up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, gird yourself and bind on your sandals. And so he did. Those words would have been such a comfort to Peter because in John chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus says this, verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, you girded yourself and you walked where you would. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall gird you. And yet what does the angel tell him? Gird yourself, Peter. Jesus told Peter the day would come when others would gird him and take him where he didn't want to go, referring to his future martyrdom. But by using this phrase, the angel saying, not today, Peter, not yet. Gird yourself. You're getting out of here. And so he puts on his sandals. He puts on his clothes. And he said unto him, the angel says, no, no, not yet. Cast your garment about you and follow me. That would be a coat or a cloak. In other words, they're in a hurry, but not a frenzied hurry that he had to leave anything behind. No, put your cloak on. You're going to need it. You're going to live for a while now. And so verse 9 says, he went out and followed him. The angel said unto him, follow me, which means keep on following me. As we'll see in a moment, Peter thinks this is a dream. It says he knew and wist not, that just means to know, he knew not that it was true or that which it was real, what was done unto him by the angel, but he thought he saw a vision. So Peter may have been tempted to wander or lag a bit. And so the angel's like, no, 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 stay on track with me. And, and the angel makes that important that he stays close. But Peter's not convinced this is really happening. He thinks it's a vision. So verse 10, when they were past the first and second ward or guard station, they came upon the iron gate that leads into the city. And I love the way Luke does this because in the Greek, literally it says this, they came unto the gate, the iron one, the one barring the way into the city. And I love that because it's like he's saying, all the other stuff, okay, but this, nobody's getting out of here. And look at what happens. Which opened to them of his own accord. This is better than any sci-fi movie. And they went out and passed on through one street, one street away. And immediately the angel departed from him. (laughs) I'd have been like, okay, (laughs) the prison's right behind me, one street away. Why did you leave? But there's some things to note here in Peter's rescue. There were, number one, numerous obstacles to Peter's escape. Guards, chains, two more guard stations, an iron gate. But were any of these things obstacles to God? Not at all. Not even close. And this is why your heart should never be deterred by obstacles. Never be deterred by obstacles. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, the beautiful words of our Lord when he says, which of you by taking thought or worrying or anxious thoughts can add one cubit to his stature? I can't make myself a bit taller by worry. I can't fix the situation by worry. Never will. And so the Lord here, we are reminded that none of these things are obstacles for him. Jesus told us to count the cost and we should, but don't dwell on the cost. Rest in what he's told you to do. Second thing to note, the angel accomplished all of this without the guards noticing. And that just baffles me. I try to figure it out. How did he do it? Did time stop? Did he place an illusion of Peter in the jail so the guards wouldn't notice? 
Surely the guards should have sensed the chains slackening with Peter's absence, and yet they did not. The Bible doesn't tell us how good this. And so again, I don't know about you, but this shows me that God is way more powerful than any superhero ability or anything else. He is almighty, beyond even our own comprehension to understand how he might do something. But the third thing to note is that the angel ditches him one street away from the prison. Not exactly the safest place to be out on his own again. And yet, I have to chuckle because it shows we need not worry despite how close we are to danger because the Lord knows right where we are. He knows how close we are to that place of danger. And I wonder sometimes if the Lord almost did it as a snub to the enemy. They don't even know and he's just a street away. How's that, devil? He's right outside your prison, but there's nothing you can do about it. Our God is greater, amen? Satan is not even God's opposite. Do you know that? He's not even God's opposite. Like he needs permission to do anything he wants to do. Can I go give Will a hard time today? Uh, Okay. He needs to grow a bit. I'll get him out of the ditch he digs for himself. God has no opposite. He has no equal. He is greater. Verse 11, Peter realizes finally it's not a vision. And when Peter was come to himself, the word there means fully awake, realizing where he is, that it's real, it's not a vision. He said, well, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. So he he really thought that it was a dream. You know, have you ever had one of those moments where what God does seems too good to be true? (laughs) I think often we dehumanize those who are faithful to the Lord. I mean, yes, Peter slept peacefully, but he didn't want to die. Do I fear death? No, but the means maybe. I don't necessarily want to go through the process, but I don't fear what's going to happen afterwards. At that moment, I know I'm going to be with the Lord. But this wasn't how he hoped things would have ended. He didn't want to die in some cell or be beheaded by the enemy of the church. Turn back to James chapter five with me. You guys know who Elijah is, right? Elijah was a man. I mean, this guy parts the Jordan River. You know, he calls fire down from heaven. I mean, this is a guy who did stuff. And look at what the Bible says about him, verse 17 of chapter five of James. Elijah was a man subject to like passions, emotions, struggles as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. What's James's point? James's point is these were not super believers. Peter wasn't a super Christian. They're just like you and me with the fact that they're yielded to God's command, which means you and I can yield to God's command as well and see God move in our lives. Are you yielded to God's commands, to his plan? to what his word says. Well, verse 12, and when he had considered, when he understood clearly the thing that was going on, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So Peter decides to go to Mary's home. I imagine this thought process occurred very quickly. He realized, okay, pinch, okay, this happened. And now he says, what do I do now? I can't hang out in Jerusalem. They're just going to rearrest me. So I'm going to go let somebody know what happened so they know I'm alive and to spread the word. And so he decides to go to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. Now, this is the first mention of John Mark, the man who wrote our second gospel. 
He was the assistant to Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary trip. We don't know how, but Mary would have been a woman of means, of financial means, to have a home large enough for all the people to occupy it. It'll mention later on she has a gatehouse to greet guests. That's something that the high priest's home is described as. So this was someone who was well-to-do. Peter was very fond of Mark, later calling him my son in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. And that's possible. Maybe that's why he went there. He had a, a close relationship with this family. Or it's possible because he knew a large gathering of Christians would be there and he would be able to tell them and they'd spread the news. Either way, Luke lets us know there was a huge prayer meeting going on there. Now, since Peter's freedom occurs in the middle of the night, it means the prayer meeting ran through the night. Interesting. I had a few ladies come to me on our last night of prayer and said, well, why do we have to stop at 8.30? I said, well, because I'll get in trouble because some people need to be home. And they said, well, can we keep praying? I said, go for it. <laughs> well, what I love more than to see the prayer meeting just going on and on and on. What if we had some kind of a prayer chain where there was just constant 24-hour prayer going on all the time? That's a good idea. You can run with it. Verse 13, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, when she recognized it was him, she did not open the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. Um, You know, this sounds like an oxymoron for me. I'm so happy. I'm going to leave you outside where they can find you again. Yet we've all probably acted a bit nutty when God answers our prayers in a miraculous way. Isn't it interesting how we pray, but we don't expect God to answer? Pastor Chuck, he tells a story about how when him and Kay needed a certain amount of money and they were asking God to provide for it and he was worried about it wasn't going to be there and he received this phone call and it was from someone in the church that said, brother, the Lord told me last week to give this money to you for X amount and I forgot and I'm so sorry, it's in the mail. And, you know, Chuck tells a story about how he got off the phone and he saw Kate and he danced around the kitchen. Hey, the Lord, it's exactly what we needed and it's in the mail. And the Lord said to him, how come you didn't rejoice when I told you it was in the mail? When I told you I'd provide for all your needs through my riches and glory. Hmm. But we all get like that. We pray, but our prayers aren't always filled with the greatest faith. And so then when God actually answers, we're like, (laughs) wow, I can't believe God did that. We're not alone. Look, verse 15. When she comes and tells him, Peter's outside. They said unto her, you are insane. (laughs) (laughs) See how sweet, loving, and kind the early church was and how we need to be just like them? You're mad. There means to be insane. You've lost your mind. But she constantly affirmed or insisted firmly that it was even so. And then they even said, ah, no, it's his angel. Now, it was a popular Jewish belief that every person had a guardian angel. The Bible doesn't teach that as fact. There's a few hints that may go that way. Jesus talked about the little ones and their angel and whatnot. And so it's possible that everyone has a guardian angel. I'm not here to say it is or isn't, but what I'm here to say is Luke isn't saying that. It's just that some of these folks said that at this moment. The Jewish superstitions believe that your angel took on your likeness. And so it's just his angel. But Peter, he's outside. He just continues knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, astonished. Now, I find this to be so humanizing, so encouraging, because there are those who teach that God won't answer prayer unless we have perfect faith, to the point of saying that we can even command God to do things because of our great faith. Well, these guys apparently weren't praying with very much faith here, and yet God freed Peter. 
But that brings up the question, what part then does faith play in our prayer life? Well, let me read just a few verses to you. If you're taking notes, Matthew 21, verse 22 is the first one. Matthew 21, verse 22, Jesus, he says this, "'In all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive.'" James 1, verses 5 through 7. James 1, 5 through 7. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not or does not withhold, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering or without doubting. For he that doubts or wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. 1 John Chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Last set of verses. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. What am I saying? What I'm saying here is there's a very clear point and principle taught in the Scripture. We should always pray believing that God will answer us with a yes. We should always pray that way. But we can only know that God will answer yes when we're praying something that we know from his word is in perfect accordance with what he wants. That's the time that we have complete confidence that I know I'm praying something that I know from his word is his will that he's gonna do it. There are times though when we can't know that information. I can't know for a surety whether God wants you to have this job or to buy that house. And so then we pray in faith, but we trust in God's perfect plan. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that seek him must believe he's the reorder of those that diligently seek him, right? That's what it says we should do. The Bible talks about us trusting in the Lord. Now, if we don't believe that God will answer us, God may still answer us. But you know what? Sometimes just a very act of prayer is a thing of faith, isn't it? Just to come to that place to say, Lord, I feel like I can't even do much more than right now just to bring it and lay it at your feet. That's an act of faith. Now, if we don't believe that God will answer us, he may still answer us, but we can't expect him to do so. Most likely, we won't expect God to do so because we won't believe he will. So oftentimes, our lack of faith is we wouldn't expect him to anyway. But God, so often in his sovereignty and in his mercy, he still answers us, amen? I'm so glad my faith doesn't have to be perfect all the time for God to answer me. Man, if that was the case, nothing to get answered. Verse 17, back in Acts. But Peter, he continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace. In other words, they're starting to get loud. And that obviously would, at the middle of the night, in that kind of culture, somebody getting loud would draw attention. So he tells them to keep quiet. The idea here, to hold your peace, it implies the keeping of something secret. Stop, be quiet. I don't want word to get out this way from you guys being loud. And then he declared unto them, literally declared fully, told fully unto them how the Lord had brought him, told them the whole story, how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And this was his words. Go and show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. So the James here mentioned is the Lord's brother, James. Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appeared to his brother, James, after he rose from the dead. His entire family came to faith as a result. 
But this is the first indication we get that James is the lead pastor at the church in Jerusalem. We know he is, but this is the first indication from Scripture that we get that he is the lead pastor there. Not Peter, not the apostles, but rather they serve the church there. And we'll see his role in this later on in Acts as he is very clearly the lead pastor there in Jerusalem. James, of course, also wrote the book of James in our New Testament. Jesus' other brother, by the way, Jude, wrote the book of Jude that bears his name at the end of the New Testament. And what does that show you? Never give up on family, right? Never give up on family. Well, Peter, when he says, go tell him, let him know, then he departed. He got out of town and he went into another place. We have no clue where Peter went. He'll make an appearance again in Acts 15. He'll be in Jerusalem. But after that, we don't even see Peter in the book of Acts. Paul mentions him being at the church of Antioch in Galatians and at Corinth in 1 Corinthians. So Peter got around. Peter's travels and ministry eventually take him to Rome where he writes 1 and 2 Peter. And most believe it's from there that the gospel of Mark was written with Peter's influence there. During the reign of Nero, almost 20 years later, Peter was finally girded by someone else. He was arrested by Nero and was crucified upside down, according to tradition. For he told his executors, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. Here's this big, brash man, blustering, full of just always out there, going even further than the Lord wants, telling the Lord sometimes, you're wrong, Lord. And there in that final moment, multiple times his life already on the line, when it finally comes to pass and they want to stretch his arms out, his art is, I just want to go in a way that reflects my Savior more than anything else. Each one of these guys, with the exception of John, died a brutal death. One of the greatest proofs and evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that these men went through the things that they went through. James losing his head, Peter being crucified upside down. One of the other apostles describes he went to India and there they flayed his skin off. At any moment, they could have said, no, hold on, you know what? Actually, it's a joke. It didn't really happen. We just made it all up. And they could have saved their lives, but they didn't. So there's only two other options. Either they were insane or our Jesus is alive. I'm betting on the fact that he's alive, that they had seen that risen Savior. When James was beheaded, the tradition says that the soldier who was there by his side, he saw his unwavering faith, that he loved his Savior so much that he didn't execute him, that he came to faith himself, and then he put his head on the block right next to James. Tell me what kind of an impact someone can have like that in someone's life unless it's real. You can look in somebody's eyes and you know. That's how our kids know when they see our faith and it's a sham. They see it and it's hypocrisy and our lives don't match the way that we profess our faith. They see right through it. My prayer every day is that God, my kids and my wife, they'll see a man up here that they can respect and they can honor. They'll see a real relationship with Jesus Christ. When you understand and you know the Savior and you know the risen Lord, it's not a lie. The testimony of the disciples that they'd been with Jesus. That's all I want. <laughs> been with Jesus. Know the Savior. That he's alive and well, living in my heart. And that's the testimony we bear to others. That's the testimony we share. Peter 
John, we won't see John ever again in the book of Acts, just mentioning that his brother died. I mean, if they go on, they're persecuted, they suffer for their Savior, and then triumph victoriously right there by his side in heaven. Someday, we will be there too. But in the meantime, we have a task that's set before us to go and tell the world the message, to live for him, to walk with him, to know him, and to finish out the race that he set before us well. Amen? Lord, you said in your word that Peter thought it was a dream, too good to be true. And Lord, we fervently just ask you now that you would cause our lives to be lived in such a way that people see the reality of who you are, that you are alive, Lord, in us as we go forth from here. Lord, we sang that song today that you were born to die, born that man no more may die. Lord, that we would bear about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that people would see us. They would see that sacrifice. They would see that love. And they would see that you have risen and you're alive in us. Lord, would you please fill us with that life from you? That people would see your greatness in us, Lord, that we might testify how amazing you are. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being your ambassadors here. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Do you ever feel alone or abandoned by God? You're not. In your best days and in your worst days, he's still there right beside you. No other friend is as faithful as him. No matter what, you're not alone. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn walk and live in the word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.